praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I sure wouldn't want to live one day in this world if he wasn't that to us. I've said it before and I'll probably say it a lot more times. I don't see how the people of this age live without him. I know they do. I know they do. And they think they're living a perfectly normal, happy life. But I know one thing. I couldn't live one day, not even one hour without him. Aren't you glad you feel that way? You're so blessed. Oh, but Brother Donnie, that sounds so weak. Weakness is the very tool that God uses to express his greatness in. It's one reason man, man can't, he just can't handle it. He cannot handle a dependency on a deity that he cannot see. That's why he loves science. That's why he loves his own things that he can do because he can, he can touch it. He can grab a hole. I, I, I made this. I did that. I fabricated this. But when you really love him and you really know him, you do like Moses did. Moses saw him who was invisible. It kind of runs in our family a little bit of being senile to be able to see something that is not there. I'm glad I can tonight, aren't you? Amen. God bless you. Let's turn to the book of Zechariah, if you would. While you're turning there, <clears throat> certainly want you to remember uh, Brother Burton, Sister Barbara Gravely. I think they tried to call and maybe couldn't get a prayer request in. They, both of them not feeling well, and they wanted us to pray for them. Also, I'd had Brother Michael to post about uh, Erica having her procedure done today. And I just talked to Lance maybe five minutes before I walked out and uh, had the procedure done today. The doctor said that it went perfect, was their words. And she's a candidate uh, for this stuff, which Lord willing will be done um, next, next Wednesday. And they've sent her home, and she, her and Lance are on the way home. We know enough about the Lord to figure it already out. We're not going to tell him what to do, how he wants to do things. Why God chooses to do certain things, I'm not sure we'll ever understand it. Can you imagine God sending a prophet back in to pray for a king after he had done told him, thus saith the Lord, you're going to die. God hears his, his cries, prayer. God speaks to the prophet in the courtyard, turns him right back around, sends him back in and said, you ain't going to die. And he brought what? A lump of figs. Wow, might be a cancer cure, I don't know. But it was a lump of figs. You imagine? And when Jesus was here, he'd done something even more strange than that. Stooped down and spit into a little bit of dust, like somebody playing in a mud pie, and rubbed it on the blind man's eyes. But it worked. So if God wants this medication, that one, that one, that one, I'm fine with it. Aren't you? Just, however he does, I'm just glad he does it. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Also, uh, we will be here, Lord willing, through the end of September, both Wednesday and Sunday. Thanks to Brother Larry Elliott. Other brothers as well have been calling and checking out places, and Brother Larry has put forth so much effort. And uh, we've been able uh, to find uh, a place at the Holiday Inn on Roan Street. I'm sure most of you know where it's at. If you don't, find where it's at. Um, Lord willing, October and November, if we need it, we will be there Wednesday and Sunday morning. Um, so we will be 
be able to use their, their facility there. They got a room where we can take our music. Or we say, Brother Donnie, it's going to be so aggravating, aggravating. Why don't you talk to this brother right here after church and ask him what his father and their church have done for years. They don't own their own church. So they rent a Seventh-day Adventist church. How many years have been doing it? Almost 30. So us poor little spoiled Happy Valley brats will be able to deal with it for a little while. They have to take the music down and everything after every service. But they're just so happy to have it. I've been there and preached for them, so I know. So after every service, they have to break it down. So whenever we do this, we're going to need some fellows with some strong backs and weak minds to be able to help us set up the music and take it down each time. And it'll be a little bit aggravating, but I think it'll be worth the aggravation. Who knows, it might help deal with some of our sentimental feelings about leaving here. We'll be so happy to get in there. We'll, we'll say, praise God. Amen. Let's read Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil, thou, notice this, thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now listen where he's going to stand. This is so important. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst. Now it's going to divide. So the topography of the earth is fixing to be changed. So the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Now it's going to cleave in the middle toward the east and the west and yet at the same time half the mountain will remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that when this great battle takes place we're going to be on the right side. We know down through life, our life is so filled with choices. And many times we have found ourselves on the wrong side in a situation. Maybe we heard this and this and this about a certain situation and based upon that, 
we made a decision and we stood for a certain thing or a certain person or a certain political view. And once we heard more about it, we realized we were on the wrong side. Well, any true, sincere person, once they find out they're on the wrong side of an issue, they want to change sides. And we're so grateful that one day we found out we were on the wrong side. We were born on that side. It was the side of sin and wrongdoing. But we heard your precious truth. And when we heard your truth, it quickened our seed and give us birth and desires to be born on the right side. Father, we ask tonight that you would help us. One day this that we have read, which is now a prophecy, it is closer now to being fulfilled than it has ever been before. We certainly want to be on the right side at that time. Help us tonight, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. And the saints said? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Give me just a little bit more. I'm sure for many people who read the Bible in a skeptical way, they would read prophecies such as this and Isaiah 61, Haggai 2, Jeremiah, Isaiah 29, and they, with no doubt, an attitude of laughter and an attitude that, yeah, right, he is going to come himself and set his feet upon that mount. Well, you know, we really don't care what the skeptics say, nor the agnostics, nor the unbelievers. We take the side of the Lord and his word. To us, as the children of God, we believe that this will happen just like Isaiah 7:14, just like Isaiah 9:6, a virgin shall conceive, the mighty God, do we not? We believe it is His word, and His word will never fail. Now, we are so close, I believe, to this prophecy being brought to pass. And the whole world is actually getting ready. Now, the mechanics of Satan's kingdom is certainly getting ready for the power of the beast to raise in the last days. Already, the great things of God are bringing his people closer to him, closer to one another, ready for a rapture. And Satan on the dark side doesn't have very much time at all. So his mechanics must also be ready. It would probably frighten us tonight if we knew how many things are coming together from the Vatican point of view, from the Protestant point of view, from the other points of view of those that are starting to get their thinking changed to a one world leader and a one world government. Now, 
people are waiting for it to be an announcement on television or it'll be an announcement on their phone and their favorite news app will send them the announcement. I want to be further advanced than that myself. I want to be in the spirit of God so I already have the announcement in my soul so it doesn't catch me unawares. You see, whenever it becomes to where that the carnal people can see it, it's already too late. By the time the announcement had arrived that the rain was beginning to fall, it was done too late. But Noah caught the announcement before it was ever visible. He heard the voice of God speak to him in such a way by the power of revelation that Noah moved with fear in the preparation of an ark. Now, the other people, they finally caught on. But guess what? It was too late. They beat, they banged, they screamed, they hollered. Why? The prophecy was so manifest they could see it with their natural eye. But it's always when it's like that that it's too late for the blinded. But the elect of God catch it while it's yet invisible because they are a part of him. Oh, I'm so happy for that tonight. Now, whenever this time arrives, we know that the world itself, of course, we've got the the war in Ukraine still ongoing. We've got Russia that just this past week through one of the representatives has already threatened America again. We just yesterday sent an intercontinental ballistic missile out for show. We just sent B-52 capable nuclear bombers over the Mediterranean. We had it accompanied by F-35s from Britain, F-35s from Israel, F-35s from America. Israel has already sent F-35s into Iran on secretive missions. There's all kinds of things that are going on. But I'm glad I'm in tune to another kingdom and to another spirit. Now they have to get into this spirit of war. It's not just going to be Russia and Ukraine. It must be the world that will get into the spirit of war. So each one of them, Poland has now contributed many millions of dollars and sent all types of aircraft and all types of things to Ukraine. And they're defending their own borders and they're afraid that Russia is going to go beyond Ukraine. I think that's very smart for them to do it. But yet we know the prophet has already told us Russia will win no wars. Russia will win no wars. People scared to death of Russia. They're scared to death of this and that and the other. Oh, if we can just get our high marks, if we can get this, if we can get that, I'm glad I've already got a real thing that'll keep me in the time of trouble, aren't you? And yet, I know that the world must be in this hour. They are getting in the spirit of it. So they are brandishing each of them their great weapons. So they make their great display, and we've got China, and we've got Taiwan, and we've got all this going on. Don't you understand what it is? They're getting in the spirit of war. They're talking about what we've got to do. They're talking about their drones from here, and their drones from there, and their weapons to be able 
able to do this and that and the other. Oh, we've got our howitzers and we've got our HIMARS and we've got all of these things that we're so thankful for as an American nation. I'm not saying we shouldn't have those, but that's not where my faith is. My faith is in a rapture. I'm not looking for a howitzer. I'm looking for a body change. I'm not looking for America and all of her allies because once it arrives to that spot, friend, as far as the most part, America will done being blowed to smithereens. But as the people of God, we have a preparation. And that place is not the UN. It is not even our government. It is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to notice in this prophecy of Isaiah 29, 7, and the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition, and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. Now remember the word Ariel is a Hebrew word that can be used for either a lion or a lioness. And here it is referring of course to Jerusalem or the spiritual Israel, the 144,000. It shall be even as when a hungry man dreameth and behold he eateth but he awaketh and his soul is empty. Now notice Notice how God runs this parallel to the armies and they're going to come up and they're, they're so convinced they're going to be able to finally destroy Israel. And we know all the resolutions of the UN. There have been more resolutions voted on by the UN against Israel than any other nation on the earth. Can you imagine? More against Israel than Cuba. More against Israel than Iran and Iraq and all of these dictators that have killed their own people and they've got proof one after another after another and yet Israel has had more against them than any other nation on the earth. And you realize that one day our own nation will turn against them. I just read a thing today where President Biden had sent a thing to Israel and said they need to change the way that they do certain things because a reporter was shot. And they said that they finally, I guess, determined it was through Israeli gunfire and President Biden himself had sent them a message. But they sent him one back. No one tells us how to defend our family. Even the United States of America. Now you see, the Israelites, the Jews, have this saying, if I do not stand up for myself, who will stand up for me? And you can see why they have that mentality. Because they've been forsaken by the nation, by the world, over and over again in the Spanish Inquisition and all the different inquisitions around the world that the diaspora has been scattered all over the world and we know it's prophecy for them to be regathered again. So God is now speaking through the prophets and saying there will come a time that I myself will gather all the nations of the earth against Jerusalem. Now notice again in Zechariah 14.4, and his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. Now we know that God is very particular about certain things. Now those of you that have been to Jerusalem or you've seen pictures of it, of the topography that is 
around there. You know that there's many different hills around Jerusalem. Now, the Mount of Olives is the one that will be on the east side. So the eastern gate is here. You look straight from the eastern gate and you look right toward the Mount of Olives. You come down from the eastern gate, which is the cemetery there, and you come down into that. You know what you find? You find the Garden of Gethsemane. It's called the Valley of Kedron. And right there is the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a large church built there now called the Church of All Nations. You go straight up toward the east and you keep climbing up and there is the Mount of Olives. You keep on going to the right. There's the tomb of Absalom. Then you got the city of David. So it's all surrounded by great historical things that we know of in the Bible. But yet there on the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus will not come upon Mount Gilboa. He will not descend upon Mount Hermon, which is a great place. He will not descend upon Mount Sinai. But why is he going to return to the Mount of Olives? Now, you know, people say, I know that, you know, it doesn't really matter how you approach God, where you go to church, how you live, or nothing like that. You just do the best you can do, and God will accept all of us the way we are. God accepts you the way you are. He loves you the way you are, and he don't want to change it. That's not my God. That's the God of this evil age, but that's not the God of the Bible. Sure, you can come to God as you are, but if you get to the hold of the Holy Ghost, you won't stay as you are. You will be changed by the power of God. Now, notice, so why, what is the significance of the return to the Mount of Olives? Now, people getting into the spirit of this destruction, and also there's another group of people that are getting into the spirit of oneness, and that is by a call of the message of Malachi. For. So God says that he will allow this to take place on the Mount of Olives and his feet in that day. Now remember it was this place that the Lord Jesus frequented many times. Remember when he sat upon the mountain and he looked over the valley there and the mountain and he wept and the Bible said Jesus said oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem how oft I would have gathered you as a hen doth gather her brood but you would not and now your house is left unto you desolate. Well you know where Jesus was sitting when he said that? The Mount of Olives. So when Jesus would have spent time in prayer and much of it was on the Mount of Olives. It was also he would have been looking from the Mount of Olives looking toward the eastern gate so he was actually looking west and he would have went down from the Mount of Olives whenever he would have condescended down and in there where he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. So the Mount of Olives was a very special place to the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice also it was the Mount of Olives called the Mount of Ascension, same mountain, where the Lord Jesus was seen by his apostles in a bodily form for the last time. It was the Mount of Olives that he stood there and the angel said, why send you here gazing into the heavens, this same Jesus that you see going away is going to come again in like manner. So it was the Mount of Olives that he spent much of his time on. It was the Mount of Olives that he went up from. It is the Mount of Olives that he comes back to. Now notice in the bride coming of Christ, which many people get messed up because the Lord can appear many, many times. And we know that the appearing of the Lord is not the same thing as the coming of the Lord. 
He's made many appearances down through time. But the literal second coming of the Lord Jesus is not the rapture. But the literal second coming is this one right here when his feet will literally touch the Mount of Olives. In the rapture, his feet does not touch the earth. But the bride rises to meet him in the air, so we gotta have superpower to be able to change this to get us there. So we're not gonna be able to make it on man's theology and ideas, is that right? It's gonna take a power from God to raise us up to meet him. He leaves his home and we leave our home and we meet him in the middle, in between both homes. So we are gonna have to have a body changing power that's gonna help us to get out of this world. Now what you notice, it was also from the Mount of Olives that the Lord Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem when they broke off the frond branches and throwed him down and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So on from the Mount of Olives, there's a trail and it kind of works down at an angle like this and it comes down, we walked right down there a couple years ago and it comes right down into the Kidron Valley and then starts right back up on the other side going into the entrance of the gate. So it was from there that the Lord Jesus rode on the little donkey fulfilling the prophecy and whenever he came down through there and they threw their garments in the way and great big branches and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. But little did they know in just a few days from that, many of those same people would turn against him. Isn't it amazing that people can scream and holler and shout about this and that and the other and in a couple of days they're your enemy. Well, that's the way it happened with him. That's the way it's going to be with us. So he made his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives on the east. So he's on the east and he's coming west. Now watch this. He's on the east and he's coming west. So it signifies, of course, even directions. You see, God is very specific. Even upon this, it says east, west, north, south. So if God says for us to be going north and we're going south, guess what? We're going the wrong direction. If God says for us to go east and we're going west and we say, well, it don't really matter. If God said go direct east, well, what if I go northeast? You're still not going the way God said. So what we want to do is find the exact way that the Lord wants us to go. Notice this also prophetically in the Old Testament when Israel had got to such a place that they broke God's word and they got away from the covenant and God was going to absolutely sell them out to the Gentile nations. The glory of the Lord lifted from the tabernacle or from the house of God and it lifted from this side of where the temple was and the prophet Ezekiel sees it lift off of the house of God and he sees it go over to the Mount of Olives. Notice Ezekiel 11.22. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city. Now watch, the glory is fixing to leave the city. Remember when the glory of God leaves the city or leaves the church or leaves a life, it is Ichabod. 
It is Ichabod. Now notice what's fixing to happen. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city, which is what? The Mount of Olives. So the glory of the Lord lifts up from the city itself, which it was our veil rather than the Shekinah glory. And once it shone from there and the prophet sees it raising up and it goes up out of the top as it were and it heads right toward the east and there it is like seen visibly on the earth uh, where on the Mount of Olives. So the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and it goes over to the east side. But notice prophetically by the same prophet Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 1. Now remember in the millennium there will be a millennium temple that will be built. We ain't got time to read tonight but if you want to read it. Ezekiel 44 through 48. And watch how the glory of God will return to the earth again. Ezekiel 43, 1. Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. Now this is going to be of course when Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt after the destruction of the atomic power and the beginning of the millennium. And the power of God carried this same prophet that saw it leave and he's going to carry him back and let him see it return again. How he must have been so excited. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. Now, we, we sing our songs about the eastern gate. Well, this is the gate. Now, those of you that know about the history of the walls, you know that it was built under one of the great um, um, emperors or empires, rather. And they built it and they read, you know, they left actually the city of David out and they didn't do it exactly the way it was in the days of Solomon. But what they did, they knew that the Messiah, they believed that the Messiah could not touch a dead body. They did not believe that the Messiah could walk through a graveyard. So what they did on the east side, they stopped up the eastern gates. Now if you've seen pictures of them, you can see it, put it up on the internet. And there it is, there's two big gates like this, arch tops, and they're totally stoned over because they think they're going to keep the Messiah out. Well, the Romans done found out a long time ago, when he gets ready to come out, you can't keep him in. Amen. Amen. It's the same way with his children. They could have put us behind every denominational wall that existed. They could have filled us with all kinds of creeds and dogmas, but you know what? When it got time for us to come out, we's coming out. Praise the Lord. So they have closed up those gates and then secondarily they buried their dead all up inside, up inside that whole hill. Graveyard everywhere so they're convinced that the Messiah, Brother John, will never walk through that graveyard. He ain't going to the graveyard, he's going to the Mount of Olives. It's from on the other side. Oh, how man misses the program of God. Now what? So the glory of God, Ezekiel sees it now, the millennium fixing to be burst back in again. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Notice the glory of God left from the Mount of Olives and Ezekiel standing over here in the fourth dimension seeing this vision and he sees the glory of God, the Shekinah of God and he watches that glory as it comes back from the Mount of Olives. Who is it? The same Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Oh, thank God. Came from the way of the east and his voice, uh oh, 
was like the noise of many waters. Now remember, this is a long, long time before John ever saw him. And yet he hears his voice the same way that John's going to see him years and years thereafter. Praise God. And in Israel's greatest need, and their mind, they, they thought they needed him in the days of Moses, and they did. I'm not here to take away from the times in the past when they so needed a move of God, but never like this. If you can imagine, there will be Russia with all of her warheads. There will be all the European nations. There they will be able to transport all of their armies from the world over. And they will be there to gather against one little tiny state. Israel, you, you know how big, you understand how big it is? A little bit bigger than the size of New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, you're going to bring all the armies of the world there to fight one little bitty. Well, it kind of reminds me of the bride in hell. Satan has to get up all of his flanks and his double flanks, and he's got to get all this and another. I'm talking about one of the smallest moves that's on the earth today, and all hell can't even stop her. Praise be to God. He's tried every disease. He's tried every sickness. He's tried everything that he knows how to, how to do. And yet I know sometimes it must send demons down in hell. Must just scratch their heads and saying, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to stop them? Well, let me tell you tonight, Mr. Demon, you ain't going to stop this bride. She's unstoppable. You're not going to be able. No, no. You may slow us down, but you ain't going to stop us. Oh, we're going to knock the life out of you. You can't knock the life out of the bride because the bride has got his life she has his name she has his word she is him my goodness so there's going to be howitzers nuclear bombs hand grenades machine guns saying imaginable and probably some things that we can't imagine but none of those weapons have any effect on glorified bodies Amen. so they can aim a howitzer right at you and it'll just go plumb through you just whoop. they throw a grenade right at your feet and you just stand right there and look at it, it wasn't no more than a firecracker but they are so demon possessed that they will fight as if though they're going to win. You think, you've got to be kidding me. They're coming against the God of heaven, and some of them will be standing there, no doubt, and look up and say, Lord, look at that. Good Lord. Look at that. I ain't never seen nothing like that in my life. Is it a B-52? Looks how Holy Ghost feels saints to me. Here they come out of heaven on white horses. Not so much necessarily just a horse, but a power. A power from God. And they will come down out of heaven, directly out of heaven. The Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And here they will come right out of heaven and they will shoot at you and they'll aim everything they've got at you. And you say, are you people crazy? You know where we just come from we just merged from the seventh dimension do you think anything you've got's going to knock us down if we could only believe the same thing right here tonight no matter what hell brings against you no matter what hell brings against me as long as we don't lose our faith nothing will destroy us as the people of God Now, our God's got lots of tactics. 
And I gotta be honest, sometimes he fights with peculiar stuff. I mean, he uses hornets. He sends angels down there and they remove the lug nuts off a chariot. Pretty effective too, don't you think? Notice in Joshua 23:3, and ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations before you. For the Lord your God is he that fought for you. Now sometimes he uses hornets. Other times he uses your anointed hand with your sword in it. Now, of course, we'd prefer the hornet route. We would prefer the Jericho route. All we gotta do is dance and shout and jump around and the Lord knocks the walls down. But sometimes we have to have a sledgehammer and a jackhammer and a D9 dozer and a little bit of TNT and whatever more to get them walls down. But if God wants to knock them down flat one day and the next day he gives me a jackhammer, whatever God wants to do, that's what I wanna be a part of. I don't wanna put God in no box and say, God, you knocked them walls down in Jericho. If you love me, I want you to do the same. But God say, here, Donnie, take this. Today, it's me and you together. In Jericho, I've done it. Now, it's gonna be me and you because I'm not gonna push you through a pipe and then pull you out on the other side and say, blessed are they that overcome. But sometimes, you're gonna have to fight with me. Sometimes, you're gonna have to pray when you don't feel like praying. You're gonna have to come to church when you don't feel like coming. But whenever you stand there that day, you're gonna be so grateful that you did because you overcome something yourself. First Samuel 17, and as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. That's a bad time to fight the saints of God when they're having church. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines. Wow. God thundered a thunder upon the Philistines. I mean, I can understand lightning. I've been lightning short myself. I know what that can do for you. But thundered a thunder? God thundered a thunder. <laughs> well, glory. Well, God thundered some thunders on us too, but it didn't kill us. We heard the voice of God. Glory. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. With what? Thunder. You imagine explaining that to the king. Everybody goes back and said, okay, boys, did you win the victory? He said, no, we didn't win nothing. We got thundered on. He said, now, come on. That is one of the lamest excuses I've ever heard in my life. Who in the world ever heard of being thundered on? You ain't never fought the God of Israel. <laughs> oh, my. So God discomfited them. Second Chronicles 20, 15. And he said, hearken you all Judah and all ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Anybody say amen to that tonight? How many has been there whenever you just tried and you tried and you didn't know what to do and you tried to figure it out and you tried to help God and God just come on the scene and worked it out and you said, wow, how in the world? I mean, and you found out God didn't even need your little advice. God didn't need my little hands to help him out. I love him when he does that. I wish he'd do it all the time, but he don't. Notice 2 Chronicles 20, 22. And when they begin to pout and have great big long faces and fill up. When they begin to sing and to praise. The Lord set ambushments. I've read this for years of my life, Brother Paul, and I've always wondered... What was the ambushments? Was it angels? Was it God just made holes in the ground and they's running and they falling? What did the Lord do? But the Lord, he just was so moved by their singing and praising. <laughs> it ain't a wonder the devil don't want us to be happy when we're having hard times. Can't you see why the devil don't want you to be happy, Brother John? When you praise him, the Lord's working ambushments for you. Oh, glory. And when they begin to sing, notice how it coincides. They did not sing after the ambushment. Their singing brought the ambushment. Their praise, oh glory. When they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come up against Judah, and they were smitten. Oh my, that ought to make us want to praise him more. That ought to make us want to sing songs that we ain't never sung. Uh, Brother Donnie, I can't carry a tune in a lark bucket. Sing it anyhow, off key and whatever. Oh my, sing with all of your might. Praise the Lord. Bless his name when you're down. Oh, but, but I, I, I don't know what to do. The Bible says everything that hath breath. Praise ye the Lord. That includes monkeys, baboons, roosters. That includes whales. That includes dolphins, horses, cows, goats, sheep, and happy valiants. Notice Zechariah 14.5. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Now remember, this is going to be a large gathering of Jews. And it just so happens the Kedron Valley is not near big enough. What battle are we talking about? Armageddon. You see, this is just about 30-some miles from where the crow flies to the valley of Megiddo. So the Kedron Valley is not big enough. So he's going to change the topography of the earth to make it big enough for them to run into. I believe it's still God tonight. If a Red Sea gets in your way, he'll just congeal that Red Sea and make it stand up and turn it into a beautiful aquarium while you're walking through on both sides. 
You just imagine them children this and they're going down through there and say, wow, I want you to look at that big fish. I want you to look at that shark. I want you to look at that whale. Oh my, you think Gatlinburg Rip is aquarium? That thing don't hold a lot to the aquarium that God made out of the Red Sea. So there was all type of tentacle fish and there was this and that and the other and not only that, but they had a miracle performed on the dirt. They're not hung up in mud. They weren't mud slingers. They was dust slingers. They was going on dust flying out from under their feet singing praise be to God hallelujah and the Lord sent that strong east wind and dried up the mud and they was able to go across on the other side and they had a beautiful seawater aquarium on both sides as they're going down and the spirit of God miraculously holding it back for them why because they were his chosen as a matter of fact God told Pharaoh you let my son go you let my firstborn go that's what he's fixing to say to his bride let us see you let my bride go grave let my bride go yes let my bride go and the resurrection will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we shall be changed Can you imagine the Jews when they see this? Hey, this is, this is the Messiah that they looked for in this form 2,000 years ago. This is the mighty general. This is the mighty Aziel. This is the one. Oh, the serpent bruiser. This is the one they looked for. Notice he says, you shall flee. Like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord, my God, shall come and all the saints will see. Now I'd like for some of these folks that goes around trying to check out Brother Branham. They're going to make sure every word that he said has come to pass before they believe him as a prophet. That means that you've got to leave out Isaiah. Because there's a lot of things Isaiah said that ain't yet come to pass. There's a lot of things Jeremiah said that ain't yet come to pass. There's things that Micah said. There's things that Habakkuk said. So if you're going to wait to see if they come to pass, then you're going to be a believer. In hell, you will lift up your eyes. Well, glory. How many believes this prophecy will come to pass? Why? Because what he's already said, I've already got confidence in what Zechariah said because I've seen other prophecies that he said that's come to pass and if he's a true prophet, these will come to pass too. Notice Jude caught the same thing. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Well... Now, I would like for some of you Bible scholars to show me where Jude got this. You're free to send? You're free to send me an email. Knucklehead.com. I, 
want somebody to show me in the Bible where Enoch got this from, or Jude got this from, that Enoch prophesied. I love getting the devil in these spots. It's just like you put your hand right on his neck and his eyes just popped out out here and he's telling, oh. How many believes this is the word of the Lord? Amen. Prove it to me. Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. You see, this is the same Enoch that was the prophetic stonemason pre-Andaluvian destruction. I find it so amazing because the arch on the inside of the Great Pyramid is made exactly to the same angle of descent as the ecliptical view of the earth, which was not even known until this generation. Measurements, it's all inside the great pyramid. You set the pyramid where it is, and you run the angle of degree up through the means of Greenwich and go all them different angles, and you find it setting exactly right in the center of the earth. And how did Enoch know all of this? Hallelujah. It was God's second Bible in the pyramids. So God wrote the mystery of the rapture in the pyramids. Well, come on, don't sit there and look at me like you ain't never heard this before. And God wrote the mystery of the ascension going up the seven steps. And right before you come up to the king's chamber, there was a messenger there which introduced you to the king at the seventh step. Praise be to God. The mystery of the rapture was wrote in the pyramid. Is it any wonder then when the prophet preaches the stature of a perfect man, he does not use a square, he does not use a circle, he does not use a rectangular, all but he uses a pyramid. Whenever he preaches the future home, he does not lay the city out as a square or a circle or a rectangular, but he says there is another geographical measure. <laughs> what was it? He's a preacher of Enoch's message. Amen. <laughs> Glory be to God. And he draws what? That future home in the shape of what? A pyramid. Thank you, Lord. Notice this, Jude goes on to say, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly, among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. Boy, he's tied up on that ungodly thing, ain't he? And all of their hard speeches with ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now you imagine, here he comes, and he'll step his feet upon it, and when he does, You know one reason why they won't build great big beautiful buildings and great, great cathedrals on the Mount of Olives? Because there's a fault line that goes right through the middle of it. You know why Satan's kingdom couldn't hold me? Because there was something went right through the middle of me. Right through the middle of you and right through the middle of you. 
<laughs> now let's move over to Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Notice the meaning of this word true. That which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In every respect corresponding to the idea signified by the name. Real, true, genuine, opposite to what is imperfect, defective, frail, uncertain. I find this so amazing that the Lord Jesus is not designated by his usual name, but by his attributes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So these attributes, and John says, when I saw him, he that sat upon him was called. Notice he doesn't say his name is faithful, and his name is true, but he is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge. The Lord Jesus the gentle, all-forgiving, wonderful Lord Jesus makes war? I know firsthand that he makes war. He made it with me one time. He made it with you too. Aren't you glad he won? And you surrendered. Praise the Lord. So here we have a fresh new vision that John relates to us about the Lord Jesus as this mighty general coming with this great conquering army. But yet there's not one weapon that is identified that this army has. There's no howitzers. There's no hammers. There's no planes. John don't even say that he sees swords or spears or shields. But their presence is all that the conqueror needs with him in perfect vindication that he's the mighty God. For you see, knowing their background is the very proof of who he is. Because nobody could take what they were and make them into what they are without it being God. Oh, praise the Lord. So they don't have to stand there with rifles and grenades and dynamite and all that sort of thing. All they've got to do is be there and be present with him and they are his vindication that he's the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the redeemer, the savior, El Shaddai. That, that's all he needs right there. Notice you think of the greatest of all battles. Can you imagine Gabriel? Can you imagine, Gabriel? Can you imagine a wormwood? Can you imagine many of these great angels that was used down through time? And he tells them, look, guys, y'all stay here on this one. Y'all just hang out here. Lord, this is Mageddon. This is Armageddon. Ah, we, we've all been won this. No, no, no. Donnie's going with me on this one. 
going with me on this one? Are they going to use spears and lightning swords? And, oh no, they won't even have no weapons. They're just gone as a vindication that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now remember, we just got up from the marriage supper. So we've sat there and ate, we've drank, we've took communion, we cried, shook one another's hands across the table and went through all of that and we sat at that table thousands of miles long. Then Jesus stands up at the head of the table and said, my bride, I've got one thing I need to take care of. I'd like for you all to go with me. Well, yes, master. Anything you want, my Lord. What shall we do? Well, really, you won't have to do anything. Your presence is all I need. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus could have asked the Father for anything that he wanted, but he only asked for one thing, and that was your fellowship. I hope he lets us see one day how much he literally really loves us. So here, no earthly prince, no king, no potentate, no general, no dictator can compare. Now watch, here he comes on symbolism of a white horse, denoting victory, prosperity, success. And his, his vindication is all sitting right there behind him. Glory to God. And he's come to make war. And if Mr. Putin is still alive, he'll look right down through his fiery eyes and say, come on, Putin. I'm fixing to put you in hell. Come on, Sodom. Come on, Russia. Come on, everybody else. I'm fixing to show you who's boss. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I imagine by this time the devil knows, uh-oh, I'm at the wrong place at the wrong time. No, devil, as a matter of fact, you're at the right place at the right time. Notice this war is not a war of ambition. It is not a war to steal somebody's property. It is a war of righteousness. Very few wars that man has ever held has been in righteousness. It has been over land, over power, over wealth. But this one, John denotes him and says, in righteousness, he does make war. Notice Isaiah 11:1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And the branch shall go out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. Neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity. Yep, you can tell this ain't man. And with for the meek of the earth 
he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked the breath of his lips can you imagine he will speak and millions will die quicker than that he will slay them with the sword of his mouth think of it the sword that went out of his mouth under the dispensation of the seven church age messengers delivered all of his elect and set them free the sword will go out of his mouth in the battle of Armageddon and kill millions at one time out of the same mouth I'm glad I'm on the right side Notice, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And the wolf also shall dwell, praise God, with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fattening together, and a little child shall eat them. Isn't it amazing? Part of Russia's symbol of their national symbol, even on their flag, is beating a sword into a plowshare. A big arm with a big hammer beating it into their, if they don't change their ways, they sure ain't gonna see that. But we will. Notice in Revelation 19, 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire I love this part. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now I hope this don't confuse you. He took on the human name Jesus for redemption. Remember God has chosen to reveal himself in many different titles and names. Remember when he met Moses and he said, who will I say sent me? They won't, they won't believe me. They said, well, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. Well, Abraham never knew him that way. Neither did Jacob or Joseph or Isaac. But that's the way he revealed himself to Moses. So we can see that the name change comes with dispensational changes. So he chooses the name of Yahshua in the New Testament. Jehovah Savior, or as we say in the English, Jesus. But when the work of redemption is over, he takes on a new name. Hmm. Well, don't get all tore up about that. You get a new one too. Now, my, my name now, Donnie Reagan, well, that's okay for a son of Donnie Betty Reagan, but that wouldn't be fitting for an eternal attribute of God. So I've got another name. I don't yet know what it is. 
but I've got another name because my body changed or render a new name. So in the rapture, I'll be saying, hello there, Brother Donnie. You'll be calling me by my word name and I'll be calling you all by your word name because that name Donnie would not be fitting for that type of a body. It's okay for a 66-year-old man. It's fine. Brother John, your name's fine for a John Horniak, a man like you, uh, you know, a Paul or Rob or whatever more. But when we get that new body, Donnie Reagan would not be fitting for a word attribute so I get a new name. And so does the Lord Jesus. Notice this in the Patmos vision. Think of it. Those eyes that were once dim with tears of sorrow and pity. Those eyes that wept with compassion at the grave of Lazarus. Those eyes that saw not the evil of the murders who hanged him on a cross, but in sorrow cried, Father, forgive them. Now those eyes are a flame of fire. The eyes of the judge who will recompense those who rejected him. Isn't it amazing? He just got up from the table looking at you with eyes of such love. I know, friends, I get all emotional talk and I think about it, but I cannot wait to think about when I get to see him. I get to look at him, no veil between us, no blood. I get to see him. I get to touch him. And he ain't going to look at me with angry eyes and eyes of wrath and fierce. It'll be eyes of such love like I have never known before. But now his looks have totally changed. I told you before, whenever I was the executor of mom and daddy's will, and I went before the judge and I had to sit there for several hours. And there was drunks that come up there and there was all kinds of people that come up and they broke their bail. They didn't pay their alimony and they done this and that and the other. Oh my goodness, that judge talked to them worse than a dog. I mean, he let them have it and I was sitting there, each one is coming through. I thought, Lord, what's he gonna say to me? And I, I, I didn't know this man come to find out that judge was one of Carol's very best friends. It was her husband. But whenever I walked up there and I come with the documentation that, that I had and he said, Mr. Reagan, I'm very sorry to hear about your passing of your mother and father. And I thought, wow, what was the difference? I wasn't a woman beater. I didn't pay alimony because I didn't own none. I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't got drunk. I hadn't done this and that. So the judge tendered his voice according to who he was talking to. So it would have been unbecoming for the judge, Brother John, to say, I'm telling you one thing, I heard your mama die. I heard your daddy die. You... I never done anything to hear that. So can you imagine we're going to be sitting there at the table and he's going to say, oh, children, my children, my precious darling wife, Oh, how I've longed to eat this supper with you. How wonderful this is. And he will sit there and we will just be in awe looking at him. Say, oh my goodness, can you believe we're in his presence? Here we are. And then he gets up and says, a little something we need to take care of and then we'll continue this down on the earth. And then we go down there and we see this costume change and we see lightning coming out of his eyes as it were and a sword coming out of his mouth and we're sitting there looking at him and saying, that's my man. <laughs> that's my husband. Hallelujah. That's the man that is my husband. The word of God, the almighty. Now those eyes are a flame of fire. 
And maybe it was you, Brother Melvin, the last one that he looked at before we got up from the table. Just kind of smiled at you. And now you look at him and you see this anger. And it's not, it's not man's anger now. It's righteous. It's pure. It's holy. It's hard to imagine holy anger, isn't it? Most of us have the other kind. Listen to this. Of all the human emotions, he manifested the most. When he appeared as son of man was this one. He wept often. Yet behind that weeping and that sorrow, there was still God. Those same eyes saw visions. They looked deeper than the hearts of men and read their very thoughts and knew all their various ways. Blazing out of mortal eyes was God who cried to those who knew him not for what he was. Yes, there he stands as judge with flaming eyes to mete out judgment. The day of mercy is over. Oh, that men might repent and seek his face in righteousness, that they might make his bosom their pillar ere the world dissolves in fire. Notice John, he notices something about this description of his personality that he had not seen before in Revelation 1 or even in Revelation 10. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. On his head were many crowns. It might seem strange to you, but in the days prior to large kingdoms, there was a time in France and much of Europe actually, that a city would be a kingdom. So like Johnson City would be a kingdom and there would be a, a king over Johnson City. And the outlying areas would be mercenaries to that king. Well, say we'd go to Bristol. And then Bristol would have another castle and a wall. And there would be a king of Bristol. And maybe a king of Morristown. And it wasn't like it was a gigantic big old kingdom like, say, Russia or the United States. Each city would have a king and would have a crown. So, those of you that have studied history, you know about the crown of Orléans or the crown of this city or that city. So, the kings that wanted to take them over, they wouldn't go out and just take on the entire kingdom, but they would conquer them city at a time. So, that king would then get this crown of this city and that city and another city each victory was adding to his list. Let's stand. Nope, I'm not going to tell you what it is. We got way too much to look at for me to rush it, so we just want to take our time. But I will say this to you. If he's wearing many crowns on that head, he must have conquered many, many things. 
For each crown is a representation of his victory. Praise God. I don't know about you. He will give me a crown of life one day, not that I deserve it, but he will give it to me. But can you imagine when we as the people of God cast our crowns at his feet? And we say, you alone are worthy. You are the worthy one. Not us. We haven't done anything, Lord. It was you that gave us grace. It was you that gave us mercy. Don't you want to be found on the right side? Now, it's amazing. People are going to see the very same Jesus. You're either going to meet him at a table or a battlefield if you're alive. And if you don't meet him at the battlefield, if you're dead, you're going to meet him at the judgment seat. And I sure don't want to meet him there. So you see, everybody is going to meet him. Well, the infidels, there are no infidels in the lake of fire. They're all believers. It's too late, but they all know there's a God. So I want to meet him right now. I heard Brother Ram say it yesterday. Some people's sins go before them and some follow them. Now he said, what you want to do is confess yours and make them right before the Lord so they can go before you and be taken care of and annihilated. Because if you don't, they will follow you. And when you get there, you have to answer for them. Oh my, I don't want that. No, no. I want to meet him in peace. I fear him like this. Yes, I do. Yes, I know there's this side of him. And I have this reverential fear. Not, 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 a, not a, a fear that you're terrified of his personality. But a reverential fear that I don't want to miss him. I don't want to miss his will for my life. I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I have to answer for too many people already. I don't want to mess up. No, sir, I don't. But I want to meet him in love. I want to meet him that when I look at him, I will not be terrified, but I will be welcomed by his look. Don't you? Can we bow our heads tonight? Praise the Lord. Oh, who is that one that comes from Bozeral with dyed garments on? Who is that one that stands and says, I alone have tread the winepress of the wrath of God. Dear Lord Jesus, we want to meet you in peace, Father. We do not want to meet you in disobedience. We do not want to meet you in judgment, Lord. But peace, peace, Father. Oh God, and there's only one way that peace could ever be established between fallen man and a just God. A goel had to come to the earth that was of a dual nature. If Jesus would have been human only, his blood would not have been able to atone. If he was God only, he could have no blood. So it had to be the miraculous merging together of both human and divine.
His blood would look like human blood. It would drip out of his body and fall on the ground and clot like any other human's blood. If they would have been able to look at it under a microscope, no doubt it would have looked very similar to any other human's blood. But it was created holy blood. And because God was in that body, that made the blood acceptable. Praise the Lord. So through this unification of both father and son in one body, he has slain and done away with our vile nature and made us acceptable in the mind of God so that we stand at peace with God. For we were born to war against you. Our early years, our teenage years, for many of these people in their 20s, 30s, 40s and on, they warred against you. They warred a losing war, but they still fought with everything they had. But one day when we accepted the Prince of Peace, the one who became the middle wall of partition, you tore down that wall between the Jew and the Gentile. And the only way you could do it was to become that partition yourself. The petition between God and man. And you made the reconciliation for our sins. And you gave us peace. Praise God. So the justice of God could meet our sins in the body of Jesus Christ. So justice and peace kissed and made up. God and man reconciled in the man, Christ Jesus, who was both human and divine. So justice had its demands met. And mercy met the demands and was extended to the recipients of that grace. Lord, we say it often. Salvation is free to us, but it was certainly not free to you. It cost you so much. Oh, Jesus, may we never abuse it, Lord. May we never bring reproach or disgrace upon it, Father. May we honor, cherish, love, and respect it every day of our life. We worship you tonight, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. How many's glad tonight you got peace with God? You remember back to that former life and them former days when you was at war with God? You was fighting Him. He was fighting against you. Fighting. You was fighting. You was pulling one way, Him pulling another. But now we've got peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. Can we just worship him a little before we go tonight? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm so glad tonight that I don't have to meet him and be afraid of fierce looks in his eyes and thunder and lightning and all that coming from his presence. 
I'm glad I'll be welcomed that day. He is our peace. Let's sing it now. Who has broken down every wall? He is our peace. With all your hearts, He is our peace. Everybody with all your heart.
of the earth will one day gather and they'll pass before that great reviewing stand when when King Jesus comes to live with us again think of it you're one day closer to seeing that with your eyes when King Jesus comes to live with us again Peace will give the 
sun. 